experiential knowledge is transformational knowledge. Like, you cannot be transformed by an idea. You have to be transformed by information that becomes revelation. And so, instead of coming in here and singing songs and worshiping this morning, uh, I felt like the Lord said not to do that. About the same time that I was considering not doing that, Jen texted me from the house and said, I don't know if we're supposed to do worship this morning. And I said, yeah, I believe that's from the Lord. And quite honestly, I don't know that it's necessary for us to have corporate worship until in a real way we actually understand who God is. Because it begs the deeper question of if we don't know who God is, then who is it that we're lifting our hands and worshiping to on a Sunday morning? Right? It's not a shameful thing. It's a reality. Like, fam, you know, I mean, we all, I mean, sometimes I wonder in our generation, and again, not, not condemning us for being a generation of information and technology, but I wonder how some of us would fare if we did not have iTunes, Spotify, Audio Bible, and all of the gimmicks and the tools and the things that prop up our intimacy with God, sermons, podcasts. What if we had none of that? What if it was you, back to the Stone Age, you and the Bible and the Holy Ghost? How would your intimacy with God fare? If there was no one else around you to parrot and to repeat the knowledge and the revelation of God to you, how would you be doing? And how would the God that you worship or I worship compare to the God of the Bible? Right? So, Jen and I had some time. I'm going to share a short story. I'm going to pray and then I want to just read some scripture and talk about some things this morning. And I just feel like what I always feel, it's actually really no different. I just feel it all the time, which is this. It's the jealousy of Jesus for the church. Like, do you feel God's jealousy for your life this morning? Like, how many of you raise your hands? I want to see everybody raise your hands. If you believe that God loves you and is for you. That you're created in His image for His glory. Well, we are. So... It's important, you guys have probably heard me share this quote before. It may be, and I have a lot of favorite quotes. It's like, what's your favorite Bible verse? I don't know, man, all of them. They're all, it just depends on the season I'm in. It's like asking me, you know, what part of God's character is my favorite? I mean, if you learn to love God as he is, then you love all of who he is, right? Um, but one of my favorite quotes, if not my favorite quote of all time, is a quote by A.W. Tozer. How many of you know who A.W. Tozer is? If you don't know, you need to get familiar. Um, and he says that the most important thing about any man or woman is what comes into their mind when they think about God. In other words, the defining thing about you, who you are is defined by what we think about who he is, fam. And I was, I was sitting here with the Lord this morning and he was reminding me, not just as his son, 
and not just as a co-heir and laborer in the gospel, but he was reminding me even as a leader in the church how I, Josiah, do not have the right to have my own opinions about him. I don't get to pick and choose God's character and nature. God has defined himself to man. He's revealed himself through the scripture. Hebrews 1 says that he's revealed himself through his son, right? Jesus, he came revealing the mystery of God to man very plainly, which is why Romans 1 says that all men are now without excuse. Like, we have Jesus, man. Like, he's been revealed to us. The spirit of God lives and dwells in men. And outside of those who are not yet born again. And he is actively seeking through means of creation to reveal God to us. But the, the Lord is jealous for the church, man. To come to the knowledge of God. And I don't mean just like memorizing Bible verses. Which, by the way, is very helpful and very powerful. Hiding the word of God in your heart. Psalm 119.7. That I might not sin against you. We need to be doing that. Do you know that if you don't hide the word of God in your heart that you will sin? Like it's not an if. You will do it. Right? Like if we do not hide God's word in our heart. And I I was telling my wife this morning. I said I honestly believe what I know to be true in my own life and in the lives of every person in this room is that in the places of our lives regardless of where they are All the various areas, whether it be our own personal heart, our kids, our marriage, our job, our interpersonal relationships, our children, our finances, our faith, our right. There's like a million little avenues and sub avenues we can go down. But the places, fam, where we struggle in our faith and in, in, in being healthy in the Lord is because first and foremost... His word is not governing our lives in those places. The Lord said to me when I was, and I by every means am still a young man, but when I was like early, early in the Lord, probably 19, 20 years old, the Lord said to me one day, he said, Josiah, 100% of the confusion that exists in your life is because of your lack of knowledge concerning my word. If you would give yourself to me and what my word says about me, you would not be so confused as you are. Anybody ever felt confused before? Anybody felt confused recently? (laughs) So does that hit home with anybody in here today? And fam, I just, again, always signing up for on the journey with you. This is not me coming in here to tell you guys, hey, you better get this because I got it. I don't see myself that way when I sit with the Lord. If you guys knew my own heart, my intimacy with God, when I sit with him, man, I, I examine the scriptures and I'm not examining them for your sake, although I am. I'm examining them for my sake and my own heart with the Lord and saying, God, you got to do this in me. Because what I don't want to do is I don't want to be in that category of people in 2 Timothy 2.7 that says that they are always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness. What does that mean? That there's going to be people that sit in church services for 50 years. Learning, 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 learning. And they actually never come to the true knowledge of who God is. And when they stand before the Lord for judgment at the end of the age. To be rightly dissected. They're going to be deeply offended with God's judgment towards them. Because their perception of who he is is not what the Bible says it is. Fam, we're not, we're not talking about outwardly evil people. We're talking about good, wholesome people who go to church faithfully. Always increasing in their learning and their stuff. But actually not being transformed by the knowledge of who God actually is. Does that resonate this morning? Does that give us a fear of the Lord this morning? Which is the beginning of wisdom. And fam, it's not a fear of unjust punishment. Because anyone who knows God, okay? The only people that I know in the church who cringe at the phrase fear of God or fear of the Lord are those who actually don't have a right knowledge of God. We hate the phrase fear of God and the fear of the Lord or we get afraid of it and it makes us cringe because we have a perception of God that's not real. Right? Like the fear of the Lord. I, my fear of Him is my reverence for Him, my, my awestruck wonder with Him, His awesomeness, His powerfulness, His greatness. Right? Who is like the Lord? And in that, it doesn't mean that I'm then afraid to come to him. I come to him because his son has paid away by, with his own blood and purchased me, a desiring and making a way for me to come in and to be one with him. Yes? And because I can come into him, I must come into him with the right knowledge of the truth and who he is. And it doesn't make me afraid of him. It makes me want to come to him. God is not an unrighteous father. He's not here to beat or abuse his children. He's not going to rain down wrath on you for, you know, making a mistake. He's not. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's merciful. Do you believe these things are true about God? Yes. All right, close your eyes. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. More importantly, Lord, you love us. You love the church. Jesus, you died for the church. You died and redeemed us to yourself. You restored us back to the Father. Jesus, I thank you for your church, which has been purchased with your blood. Lord, which has been redeemed. Lord, we thank you for the depth of your redemption, Lord, this morning. God, thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy, your kindness, your gentleness, your patience with us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking this morning that as we 
conversate around your word and around the knowledge of who you are. God, I'm asking that barriers in us, Lord, that are keeping out the true knowledge of who you are, that these barriers would be broken down. Lord, I pray that your word would run like a river, that it would run swiftly and quickly to every broken place in us and that, God, you would heal us, that you would wash us, that you would cleanse us, Lord, that you would build up in us, God, the right knowledge of who you are and that it would tear down the wrong knowledge of who you are, Father. Father, I thank you for every man, woman, and child. God, in this room this morning. And Lord, we are asking as a people that you would come and fill us with the knowledge of your will. God, would you come and fill us with the knowledge of who you are. Come and fill our hearts. Come and fill our minds. Come and fill our emotions. Holy Spirit, we let go of the control of our lives again. And we give you control, Holy Spirit. We give you access, Lord, to us. Lord, forgive us, God, for closing off places in us where we think we know you. And Lord, we ask that you would come in to those locked places and spaces and that, Lord, you would have your way in us. And I'm going to wait right here because... I feel this is the same thing that I was feeling this morning. And I even don't even feel permission from the Lord to move on. But it's like I see this picture of the Lord walking through the halls of our homes. And he is wanting to come into every room. And there are some of us in here this morning who have locked rooms and we have told the Lord, no, you're not coming in here. Some of us, we've allowed him to come into all the rooms, but we've locked things away in closets and in spaces. And we have literally told the Lord, no. Some of it represents pain. Some of it represents shame. Some of it represents trust. I feel like this is one for some of us this morning where we are saying to the Lord, I just don't trust you that much. And we don't think of it that way, but really that's the issue. Is that God is desiring to have full and total control of our lives. And there are some of us in this room this morning who are not willing to let go and relinquish control. And it's actually the thing that is causing us inwardly to be angry. In fact, the Lord told me this morning that there are people in this room right now who hear the sound of my voice. And while outwardly you seem undisturbed, inwardly you are actually an angry person. That if someone touches the right button in you, you will come unglued emotionally. There are emotions in you that actually scare you. Because you know that they're there and you're not letting God deal with them. And the Father is coming this morning in His loving kindness and in His mercy and in His grace. And He's saying, you must let me have those places in you 
if you want to become healthy and you want to become whole. Father, heal us and we will be healed. Save us and we'll be saved. God, I'm asking, Lord, oh, gracious God, that you would disturb us in our undisturbed places. Lord, that you would unearth the places in us, God, that we refuse to dig up. And it's, I feel like people in here need to know that God is not going to force his way in. Even when I was picturing him walking through the homes this morning and even now, like the Lord wasn't beating down the door and jiggling the handle trying to make you nervous. I just saw the Lord literally just stand still and wait. Like God will wait on you. And some of you need to hear this morning from the Lord that you're not waiting on the Lord. The Lord is waiting on you to obey. The Lord is waiting on you to let him in. And it's not even a lot of, I feel like for some of us this morning, it's not even that we need to go and do a bunch of things. It's that we need to let him do it. Lord, forgive us for striving to accomplish your will. Lord, forgive us for every place in our life where we have replaced your wisdom with our own wisdom. Lord, where we have tried to take your plans and do with them as we wish. interesting it's like I the Lord's reminding me of of like an airplane being hijacked hijackers most of the time can't actually fly the plane so they wait and they don't have authority to fly it so they wait for planes to get all the way up off the ground and into the air and then they emerge and they try to take control of the flight and I feel like this is literally what the Lord is saying to some of us in here this morning. I, I am the one who's flying the plane. I am the one who got it up off the ground. I'm the one who's charted the course. And now you are trying to take control of the flight. You are trying to steer the plane and it's not going to work for you. You're going to crash into the tower. You're going to crash into the field. You're going to crash into these various places and spaces. And it's just like this gentle, sober, loving warning from the Lord. He's saying there's still time for you to relent and repent. Let go of control. Father, I break the back of control. Lord, I rebuke every spirit of fear and anxiety and control and manipulation. God, in this room within our own hearts. 
Lord, everything in our hearts that is trying to take control of your will and your way. God, I'm asking that you would break it right now in Jesus' name. That you would break it. Lord, that you would break it. That you would break the hold. It's like I see some of you sitting in the cockpit of the airplane and you're gripping the wheel so tight that it's literally going to take the Lord breaking your grip for, you, for it to come off. And I feel like the Lord's saying, don't make me do that. But if you make me, I will. Because I love you, I will do it. Lord, we let go. Lord, I let go. Lord, I don't want you to have to break my grip. I release my grip willingly, Lord, to you. Willingly, Lord. Lord, that you would give us the grace to let go of our will and that it would not be our will but your will. Holy Spirit, come. And help. Holy Spirit come and help. Lord fill us with the knowledge of your will this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. How you doing? I was convincing. Sober-minded? How many of you feel like some of those things I was just sharing resonate with you this morning? May the Lord bless those who have the courage to acknowledge the truth. And may he be merciful to those of us who don't. Man, When I think about my own life in Christ, if someone asked me to describe myself to other people, I would literally tell them that I am a trophy of God's grace and mercy. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when I, when I feel led by the Lord to address the issues of will, which is the issue for all people. Fam, I'm telling you, and my wife can testify because she's been with me for 12 years, and this is how it was with me and the Lord for many years before that. But man, God has spent the majority of my walk with him breaking my will. And I'm telling you, take it to the bank. God, God's will is much stronger than yours. He will outlast you. He's already outrun you. He's already been where you're going. He is where you are. He knows exactly what's happening. And fam, here's the deal. We in our own humanity, sometimes we, we get delusional 
And what I mean is that we think we're fooling God. God is not fooled and God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Like the Lord knows us. And in that he is gracious and merciful and kind. But I'm saying all this to say, can I ask you a question? What is the primary goal of knowing God? Amen. That's the right answer. The knowledge of God is about being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. Right? So every area in my life where I'm not like him, it's an invitation into that knowledge to experience him in his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, his patience, his truth. What I've learned about God in my short amount of time on the earth is that there is no awkwardness in the Lord. There's only awkwardness in us. And really all it is, fam, is the places in us where our insecurities are squirming. Right? Because we are uncomfortable in just the sitting in the silence with the Lord. Like... I want to issue an invitation and a challenge to to somebody this week. Actually, to everybody. To whosoever will. I dare you for one solid week in your intimate time with the Lord to do nothing but sit in silence with your Bible. No music. Nothing out here. No distractions, no iPhones, no nothing. Just to sit with the word and let the word sit with you. Because I'm telling you that this is where your transformation, this is where my transformation has come from. I said to my wife this morning, I said, I honestly believe the reason why I am where I am now is from all of the years that I had the opportunity to spend at the house of prayer in Kansas City sitting alone with Jesus for years, just me and the word of God and letting his word examine me and judge me and discern me and know me and correct me. All right, if you have your Bible, let's look at some scripture together this morning. Second Timothy. 2 Timothy's in the New Testament. It's just before Hebrews and Titus. It's also after 1 Timothy. <laughs> Lighten up, man. Why are you so serious? There you go, Shelby. See, fam, because I feel like, too, man, some of us, we think that God's sobriety and his seriousness and his firmness is equated with heaviness and that's also our dysfunction concerning the knowledge of God right well God was firm with me so he's mad at me now I feel heavy and depressed wrong thinking about the knowledge of God 
Fathers who are serious and firm with their children, it's because they love them and care for them. Amen? I can discipline my children. I can be firm with them. I can have a serious conversation with them with nothing but joy abounding in my heart. Yes? Man. He delights to show mercy. It's like if I start talking about the mercy and love of God in here, all of a sudden the room will shift and people will start feeling all these good feelings and oh, okay, oh, 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 no. But fam, this is dysfunction. We're uncomfortable with the parts of God that challenge us and we're comfortable with the parts of God that comfort us. And what I'm telling you is this is why we're immature as a people. Does that make sense? Do you know that what doesn't challenge you will not change you? If it has the power to challenge you, it has the power to change you. Right? How many of you would say, I went through something difficult and in that season, it changed me? It's usually not the mountaintop where things change. It's the valley. <laughs> or as we used to say, scarcity brings clarity. Because all of a sudden, all the things go away and it's like, oh, I need God now. Nobody needs God till they need him. Amen? Okay, so Listen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Say amen if you're there. Connor, I want you to read verses 16 and 17 out loud, please. All scripture is inspired by God. <laughs> Brenda, read it. The same one? Yes, ma'am. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, and, and, and for every good work. Ash, what translation you got? Will you re read yours, please? Can you say the word all? all? All of the Bible is profitable. What does the word profitable mean? It's good, right? Profit is good. It's profitable. It's good for us to give ourselves to the scriptures 100%. Which means even if it stings and it doesn't feel good and it's correcting something in us, can I ask a question? Does the scripture say that the scripture is for correction? Yes. Is it for rebuke and reproof? Yes. Is it for teaching us what we don't know? Yes. Is it to train us in righteousness? Yes. So that what? 
that we might be adequately equipped for all things, right? Every good work. People that lack purpose don't know the word of God. People that are lost and wandering do not know the word of God. People that are confused about their identity, right? Don't know the word of God. We live in a generation, even in the church fam, where even in the last 10 years, there's been an emergence of preachers who they have a burden, but their burden, I would say, is misplaced or it's out of order because they're spending too much of their time trying to tell the church who the church is when if we would actually tell the church who God is, the church would know who the church was, right? The church comes from God. God doesn't come from the church. But we've mixed these things up, okay? This is what happens when you put the cart before the horse, right? So when, when the Pharisees asked Jesus... In Mark 12, 30, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Say it louder. And? <coughs> What's the revelation? Yeah, he was saying you can't do one without the other. So the commandment to community and family and to become the people of God is deeply connected to becoming like God, right? What happens if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Yes, because we'll be loving one another the way that God loves. Would that be a fair assumption? So if I spend my time trying to become like him, which comes from knowing him and knowing his word, then I will actually walk in the commandment to build community and walk in family. Does that sound right? But what happens, fam, is that because we're trying to do it, like we're clinging to each other, I'm saying this because what I don't want to see happen in our community and our family is that we deceive ourselves into thinking that because we gather together that we're going to be transformed and changed. It's part of the transformation and the changing. But if we're not giving ourselves wholly and fully to the knowledge of who he is, when we're alone in the secret places of our life, then coming together is going to be of no value. Does that make sense? The community has to be built on Christ. Christ isn't built on the community. Order matters in the kingdom of God. When you're laying the foundation of a house, you don't build the roof first. You don't build the bedrooms, right, Brenda? Right. And in fact, before you can even lay a foundation, you have to dig. You have to plow up the fallow ground. You have to, you know, people, we had, Jen and I recently had, you know, dinner with a couple who, uh, who pastor a church in, um, Tifton, Georgia, Stanton and Abby Moore, they're the pastors of Burn Culture. They're good friends of ours. And, um, you know, they're three years into the work that God had them begin in 2020 um, in the middle of the COVID madness. And 
they were talking about how three years in, they still feel like they're planting. They're still laying a foundation. I would just want to tell you seven months in, fam, I don't even know if we've begun to lay a foundation. We're still plowing up fallow ground. We're still excavating and excavating the dig site. We're still trying to determine where to lay the foundation. Just because we're having a meeting doesn't mean we're a church. This is the work of doing the ministry and becoming the people of God. We are the people of God. We are becoming the people of God as we become like God. Right? Like, this is again, fam, why, you know, you may come in here on a Sunday morning and it's like, I, I want to say for the sake of our community so that everyone can, can say, hey, he said it more than once. Like, I'm not committed to a structure. I'm not committed to, well, we're going to get a schedule and it's going to look the same every week and we can get comfortable with knowing that we're going to come to the building and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And it's not because we're trying to be different for the sake of being different, fam. It's because I want to be deeply married to the leadership of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and what God wants. And if what God wants for the next 6 to 12 months is for there to be no corporate worship or entertainment or anything of any kind... So that we sit around and have conversations about the knowledge of who God is. And we're growing and we're maturing and we're producing fruit. Then glory to God. Right? Does it really matter? Like, and again, I'm not saying that's what we're going to do. Don't, don't jump off the boat. But we're going to do what God wants us to do. I was talking with Stanton and Abby. And they were like, you know... Uh, Actually, in December, we're shutting down. They have a church of 140 people. They said, we're, there's not going to be any corporate worship in December or January because our people don't know how to worship God. That's what they said. And just so we're clear, today is not the result of that. We've done this many times before. I'm not like, oh, they're doing it, so we should. I don't, I don't feel that way. I'm, I'm trying to lock into organically what God is doing with us. What I'm saying is, think about this in a very real way, fam. If you, everybody close your eyes just for a second. And think about if we were to begin singing a song about God, like who do you picture God to be in your mind? Like when you worship the Lord in song and you sing songs, are you just singing songs? Is it just words? Are you worshiping just some, some blank vast expanse in the sky that, we don't know who he is. Like, really, think about it. Who is your heart longing for? Who, who is your mind reaching to? Where does your thought and your feeling go? Like, who do you picture? Do you picture the Son of God whose eyes burn with fire and desire? The Son of God, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the earth? The one who died on the cross a painful death with joy in his heart to redeem the sons of men back to God. Like, who is it that we worship? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do we, who do we worship? Do we worship a God who is slow to anger and abounding in love? 
Do we worship a God who is the epitome of all that is the truth and righteousness and holiness? Do we worship the God of Revelation 4? Which says that four living creatures and 24 elders come and cast down their crowns and they worship a real God sitting on a real throne. All day long and every day from the beginning of creation until now. And forevermore they worship God in his holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and who is and who is to come. Worthy art thou, Lord God. The only one who has the power to open up the scrolls and release the will and the judgments of God in the nations of the earth. That's who we worship when we sing songs to Jesus. Or when we close our eyes, are we just singing songs to an image of God that we've created as a form of self-medication? To comfort us in our discomfort. But not actually transform us and change us. Because I want to propose something to us this morning. That the purpose of worship is transformation. Worship is an end in of itself. It was never meant to butter you up. For the word of God. Right? When, wor when actual worship of God goes up. Revelation of him comes down. So when we sing songs to the Lamb of God. And we exalt him in high places. And we see him rightly. And fam. I, I honestly believe that when we worship God. We should be exalting God in the knowledge of God. As the exalted one. The high and lofty one. The holy one. God the creator, God the father, God the unborn God. Have you ever closed your eyes? Just keep them closed if they're not, reclose them. And go back to Genesis 1 in the beginning. And have you ever gone backwards from there and thought about him that way? Before Genesis 1, he was. And he is and he has always been the uncreated God who lives in you and me. And what does that even mean? And this is the knowledge of God that he wants us to have. Is that his greatness and his glory and his power. And his might and his holiness. Who he is. And he's immutable. Which means that he's undefinable. Words in the human language will never be able to accomplish actually rightly appraising him for who he is. Which is why we have his names that are known to him, revealed to us by him, because these are the things by which he desires to be known, that he is the I am who has always been and will always be. And that God lives in us. And that is why we worship him. Have you ever thought you can open your eyes? Have you ever thought about him that way? I know. Amen. I 
Well, and, and Brenda, I think that's actually the point. Yeah. Right? Is that he wants us to understand that far beyond our understanding, he is. Who can comprehend him? That's right, what he tells Job. Where were you, Job? When I rolled back the expanse of the seas, when I hung the moon and the stars. We appeal to God in our unbelief over simple things. And God says, I made the world in six days. He could have done it in a half a day. Or like this. You ever ask yourself why God does what he does? Lord, Psalm 25, Lord, show me your ways. How many of you want to know God's ways? How many of you just want to know God? You know what happens if you try to know God's ways without knowing God? You make God in your own image and you become familiar with your own ways. Consider your ways. And I think a lot of times, fam, we want to know the will of God. How many of you in the last 30 days have prayed to know God's will for a decision? God, what is your will? Can I tell you that the answer is knowing him? We would spend a lot less time asking God to know his will and his ways if we knew who he was. Right? Because his will and his ways flow out of who he is. They're not disconnected. Right? A lot of times I don't actually need to ask the Lord what he wants me to do. Because I already know. How do I know? Right here. Well, I need God to tell me. I need an answer. I need a sign. I need a... But a wicked generation who's adulterous continues to ask me for a sign. They need 27 confirmations about what I'm saying because they don't know me. Right? It's an invitation, fam. It's not a rebuke that pushes us away. It's meant to sting us and say, hey, you don't know me, but I've made a way for you to know me through the sign. It's not a rejection saying, you don't know me and you're never going to know me. He's saying, you don't know me, but guess what? I've given you the ability to know me. And I've given you all the faculties and capacities. I've given you my instructions. I've made it. Can I just tell you, fam, that while knowing God and walking with God can and will be difficult in many seasons of our lives, there is great grace for you to do this. How many of you are waiting for life to get a little bit easier? I have some really disappointing news for you. But, Brenda, His grace is sufficient for you. And He is expanding our knowledge of His grace in us so that we can actually learn how to thrive in things where we once only knew how to survive. Like it's not actually the situation of our season that needs to change. 
It's our perspective of him that does. If I see God as a never-ending river of grace who's able to give and impart and empower and divinely influence even the weakest members of my heart and mind and body and soul, then I will connect myself to a power source that never turns off. We know these words, right? Jesus said, I will never. Can somebody say never? Never. I will never what? We all know the words. But then fam, why do we act like he's not there? You will never leave me or forsake me. Lord, where are you? I need you. You're not here. Show up. Lord, if you don't show up, if you don't show me, God, I'm right here. I told you I wasn't leaving. I'm not a man that I would lie. I am the Lord. I am with you. And fam, he, he, I believe so often, it's like, how many of you guys know the story of Jesus asleep in the boat with the disciples when the storm is raging? Dude, and they are like, wake up, Jesus! We're gonna die! And he just, I just imagine him just sitting up and going, right? Oh, ye of little faith. Like, it, it wasn't that he was upset with them for being afraid of the storm. He was saying, how much longer do I have to be with you? you? If you realized who was in the boat with you, you'd be asleep too. You would not be tripping, man. Right? Yeah. It's about trust, fam. Yeah. This walk with God, this relationship with the Lord, it is trust. Every minute of every day. And when I feel my heart getting into anxiety or anger or frustration or irritation or, okay, Lord, what are these little things in me that are not trusting in you? What are these things in me where I'm struggling to become like you because I'm still holding on to my old way of doing it? How are you doing this morning? You guys good? Is this good? God is good, man. And I, I would much rather for our sake, fam, as a family, and for what it is for me having to give an account to the Lord for everything that we do, and I take it seriously, I would rather say that we sat in a season getting to know the knowledge of this God we say that we serve than for us to just go through the motions of having services. So that what, man? I'm not against corporate worship. I love it. I said to the Lord, come on, man, we sing a few songs. We can sing songs anytime we want to. And in fact, I encourage you to sing to the Lord. It's good. But sing the right things to the Lord about who he is, right? 
and fam, if we're afraid, if there's anything in us that isn't willing to humble ourselves this morning and say, Father, wherever I have had thoughts about you that are not right and true, God, I'm asking you to come and correct those things in me, then it's an issue. Lord, please help Jehu to get the knowledge of God this morning. It's a knowledge issue, man. It's, it's a knowledge issue, man, for all of us. We need to know the Lord. And you know, I, 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 my heart is not to, my heart is not to push anybody out of the community, man. I don't, I don't want to lose anybody, but at the same time, like, I just, and you guys have heard me say this, I, I just, I'm not, we're not doing what we're doing so that we can not be like everybody else. It's not, it's not even, it's not, that's not even part of the context. The context is I want to be like him. So what's it take? To become like him. Because we, whether we, like 2,000 years ago, fam, they didn't have all this. Like, they just wasn't even part of the deal. Like, they were meeting wherever they could under the threat of death. And their members were being brought out into the streets and flogged and beaten and imprisoned and killed. And, and right, and I know that gets intense. I'm just saying, right, like... We have the free, I honestly believe, fam, here, right? You want to talk about a sober thought. It is our freedom in America that's going to testify against us. Oh, you had all the time, all the resources, all everything you, like, dude, these guys that we're, that we're reading from here are like, so what's your excuse? We didn't have anywhere near what you had. Like every one of us has a device in our pocket or in our purse that we can literally pull out and we have access to all of it. And yet, a lot of scholars would say that our generation is the most biblically illiterate generation to ever live. We have all the information, literally, but so little revelation. And you've heard me say, but information is not bad. It's what do you do with the information? Yeah. Knowledge is power, right? Yeah. But it's what we let the information do or not do in us that determines whether it becomes revelation. That's why God, Paul is praying in Ephesians 1. When he's praying, asking for the spirit of wisdom, he doesn't pray for the spirit of wisdom and information, Glenn. He prays, prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because Muslims know things about God. Parrots can mimic and repeat. Right? I can listen to a podcast and repeat. You guys can walk out of here and repeat. But if you're not getting alone with God in the secret place and wetting the pages of your Bible with your own tears, it's not going to do any good. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you got to cry every time, but I will also tell you, fam, that tears oftentimes are a litmus test for the healthiness of our hearts. 
Like how tender is my heart to the Lord. That I would read his word and I would be willing in humility to let his word examine my heart and say, okay, if that's me, Lord, let's fix it right now. Man, you know, fam, a lot of stuff don't go away overnight. It doesn't mean that it can't be conquered. Right? It doesn't mean that we then go, well, it's just never going to change in me. I'm just self-willed. I'm, I'm pig-headed. I'm, you know, I'm never going to change. No, that's the orphan that wants to quit. And can I tell you this? That the secret to growing in God is not giving up. It's giving in. And there's a difference, right? The language matters. It's a difference in one two-letter word. Giving up, uh, fine, screw it. How many ever done that? I've watched half you do it, it's okay. <laughs> ah, I give up. Ah. Or is it like, okay, I'm not giving up. Lord, I'm giving in. It's acknowledging that my way is not your way. And I'm relinquishing control of my heart again and saying, Lord, you've got to do it. I think I've told you guys before, some of the most earnest praise I've ever prayed to Jesus. We're not, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And all that's great. It was help me, Jesus. Ever been there, Brenda? Lord, I suck again. Please help. Make, but, but, not, but not in a helpless way. In a way that's like, Lord, I know, right? John 15, 13. Apart from you, Lord, I can't do it. You don't have to go there. Just listen. I'll read it to you. I was meditating on this again recently. John 15, 4. Jesus says, abide in me. What does it mean to abide? To dwell, to stay, to... When I think of abiding, I think of honestly like two things becoming one. Like there's a merging and a, and a mixing and a mingling, right? Abide in me. He says, and I will abide in you. Now picture this. Close your mind. Or close it. Now open your mind. Close your eyes. <laughs> we'll call them back, Shelby. Just it's, I, <laughs> it's the sugar test. <sighs> All right. No, you're, you're fine, honey. Say, okay, so abide in me and I in you. Now close your eyes. Picture a branch as a branch cannot bear or produce fruit by itself. So picture a branch in your mind of a tree or, or a vine, a branch disconnected from a vine. It can't produce any fruit. He says, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now picture that branch being connected to a vine. It's life source, right? He says, I am that vine and you are the branch. And he who abides in me, I will abide in him. And he will bear much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fam, let me ask you a question. Open your eyes and look at me. How hard does a branch have to try to be connected to a vine? How much effort does a branch strive and strain and put forth to be connected to the vine? But if it stays connected to that vine, it produces fruit. It's not your job to produce fruit. It's your job to abide in the vine. Can I ask you a practical question? What happens to a branch if it's not connected to the vine? It's got no source, right? It dies, withers up and dies. Look what he says. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. Woo! So, can we abide in God without his word? No, fam. Maybe this is the issue for some of us is that our abiding is being held up and hindered because we're trying to abide in him without his word. And he's saying, you can't do it. If you want me, you have to have my word, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then Brenda, he says, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Do you know the reason why so many of our prayers that we pray don't get answered is because we do not pray according to God's will. God is not a lottery ticket. He's not a genie in a lamp. He's not Santa Claus or the Easter bunny. Right? This is not the Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> it's okay to laugh a little bit. And I don't think any of us necessarily think about him as those things until we realize the way that we pray. And then it's like, oh, well, maybe I actually do think those things about God. Has anybody ever prayed something for a long time and it never got answered the way you wanted it to? Do you know that the reason why is probably because you weren't praying according to God's will? And the reason we don't pray according to God's will is because we don't know God's ways. We don't know God's ways because we lack in the knowledge of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I'm going to read two more, a couple more verses here and then we're going to close up. If you go back to 2 Timothy, you guys have your Bible in front of you still? So we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Very next verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I'll wait for some of y'all to get back there. It's fine. Everybody there? Set, we're back in 2 Timothy, Hanny.
2 Timothy chapter 4. Well, let's back up. Well, let's read 16 and 17 and then we'll flow right into 4. So 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Then Paul tells Timothy, I solemnly charge you. Now, let me give you this real quick. Where is Paul writing this letter to Timothy from? He's in Rome. He's back there again. He's about to be executed for the sake of the gospel. They've brought him in before on trumped up charges. He got out of them. Now they're blaming Paul for as one of the Christians who's responsible for the reason why Nero's going crazy burning down Rome. They need somebody to take the fall for it. They're coming after Paul. Paul's being persecuted for the preaching of the gospel and for this new religion per se that is taking hold of the city. People are getting saved in droves. The gospel is moving. Paul is writing to Timothy these instructions. How many of you believe that last words are powerful? Oh, they are. Like, if you were laying in your bed dying, what would be the last thing that you would say to somebody? These are the things that Paul is saying to Timothy. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul says, I solemnly charge you to preach the word. To be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Verse 3. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn away to myths. Do we or do we not live in a generation and a time and a space in this nation. Where if you don't like what I'm saying. You can go find somebody who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And you don't have to go outside the church to find it. Find the denomination. Find the preacher. Find the podcast. Find the whatever. We can believe what we want to believe about God. Or we can believe what God says to believe about Him. I believe that. The Lord is inviting us to pray really simple prayers in our hearts this week, fam, that sound like this. Lord, forgive me for every place where I have believed things about you that aren't true. Help me to believe what you say about yourself. It's a great place to start. Yeah. I don't want what Josiah says about God to be true. I want what the Bible says about God to be true. I don't want what Jen says about God to be the truth. 
Of course, unless it is. But I would hope, fam, that everything that we're, and again, to me, this is the importance of sitting here with our Bibles open. Why? So that you can't leave here and the enemy can't come to you in the car ride home and say, that's not really true. That's just his opinion. May I be damned if it is. In every way. Either this is the truth or it's not. Right? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. So you have to start there. When you open up your Bible tonight or tomorrow morning, ask yourself, seriously, do I believe that everything in here is the truth? And if so, why do I give myself permission to believe some of it, but not all of it? Thomas Jefferson, you guys know who that is? Who is Thomas Jefferson? The fourth president of the United States of America. Do you know what the Thomas Jefferson Bible is? Now, Thomas Jefferson was notorious for reading his Bible. But when Thomas Jefferson died and they got a hold of Thomas Jefferson's Bible, you know what they found? That Thomas Jefferson had taken a razor blade and cut out entire books, passages, phrases. Oh yeah, I don't like that. And though none of us in here have done that, we do it. Because we read a portion of scripture and we're like, oh yeah. God is patient. Oh, thank you, Lord. He's gracious. Oh, thank you. He rebukes me. No, 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 no. He's merciful. Thank you, Lord. Right? We love to read the stories where God saves everybody, but then we ignore the fact that, you know, He wipes out people. We love to read the stories of God saving 3,000 people in a day and pouring out the Holy Ghost. And then two chapters later, when Stephen is being stoned to death as the head of the food pantry in the church, we, we don't want to talk about it. But fam, we need to talk about it. So that when the persecution comes, so that when life squeezes you, and it will, and it has, and it's going to, so that what comes up out of you is him. Like who we are when we come in here, that's great. Who are you when your boss ticks you off? Who are you when your kids are not obeying? Who are you when you're struggling to pay your bills? Who are you when anything, fill in the blank, whatever it applies to you. Who are you when? Because who you are then is the revelation of who God is to you. Is that true or not? 
We can say what we want about God, but our life prophesies to the world who he actually is to us. That's why I always take it face value. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Wonderful. Show me your life. Let me see the fruit. I'm a little bit of a skeptic because I want to see the fruit. God wants to see the fruit. What I just read to you in John 15, he says, by abiding in me and me abiding in you, you produce much fruit. And by the fruit that you produce, my Father is glorified. Not you going to a service on Sunday for 90 minutes. Right? And I don't, it's not a horse I'm willing to keep beating. We just talk about it, but it's just like, man, what kind of fruit is your life producing? Is, are, is your life mirroring God in such a way that someone else can follow you right now and it would lead them to Jesus? Like, what about that? If I stuck you on an island with somebody for 30 days, you know God, they don't. Are they going to come out saved after 30 days? Are they going to come out saved after a day? Do you have enough of God in you and the knowledge of his word in you to lead them to Jesus? I don't mean Bible verses. Bible verses do, no, do you no good if they've not been written on your heart. Right? We talk about it all the time. The John 5, 39, 40 reality. The Pharisees could quote the Bible to the people all day long. And they didn't know God. Memorize the Bible. But let the Bible memorize you for real. Verse 5, 2 Timothy 4, he says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I do not want to be a man who runs around looking for somebody to tell me what I want to hear. I want to be a man who's willing to stare at God's word and let it stare back at me as long as it takes so that I can become one with him and him one with me. Do you want that for yourself? Because, you know, nobody else can give you hunger for God. And can I tell you something about hunger? Hunger doesn't actually come from not tasting. Real hunger actually comes from I've tasted and I've seen, and now I want more. Nobody longs to have a juicy ribeye who's never had one before most of the time. But they go and get a ribeye because they had it and they know it's good and they want it again. Hunger for God is not, doesn't actually come up out of a place of emptiness. It comes from a place of being filled. That's real hunger. There is a version of hunger that comes from emptiness. But then I only eat in order to make the hunger pains go away. Dude, real hunger comes from when your belly's full. And you're wanting more. Not to overfill, right? Not to 
over stuff and to become fat, but a desire for more of what I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the life that it is to our very bones. God, I thank you that your word, God, that it is the truth. And the truth is who you are, Jesus. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to my Father except through me. So, Jesus, we come in through the door of who you are today. And we're saying, God, will you give us a greater revelation of who you are. God, would you deepen our capacity? Would you awaken our hunger? Would you cause us to thirst for you in real and powerful ways, Lord? Holy Spirit, would you come and baptize us in your love, God, today? Create in us a desire, Lord, for more of you. Lord, would you help us not to make excuses in this season, God, for why we can't change, for why we can't be transformed, for why things can't shift. We've said this in our community before, but I feel like God is even saying it again. I do not forgive excuses, but I do forgive sin. In other words, if we would acknowledge the places where we're missing the mark, then those are the places where God can come in and heal and fix and correct. He can make it right. He can heal it. But as long as we continue to say, well, I am this way, or why have you made me this way, or it's never going to change, as long as the mentality is giving up and not giving in, then God is unable, not because he's unable in power, but he's unable to be unfaithful actually to the revelation of who he is. I was actually, just keep your eyes closed, I'll read this phrase to you. Um, where is it actually? Yeah, 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to yourself and to your own word. Lord, that even when we miss the mark and we falter and fail and we're not faithful to uphold it, God, you're faithful to uphold it, not just for our sake, but for the sake of faithfulness to your own name. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to yourself. Consequently, your faithfulness to us. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you keep your word, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, I thank you that you are radically and jealously and zealously committed to transforming us into your own image and likeness. God, that the, that the process you started in the garden when you said, 
Let us make man in our image. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are just continuing to make us into your image and now into your likeness of your person. Lord, would you forgive us? Just ask him this morning. Lord, forgive me for the places where I've missed the mark. Lord, for all the places, God, where I have missed it this week, my shortcomings. God, where I've lacked in faith, where I've been riddled with unbelief. God, where I've struggled with jealousy or envy. God, where I've been short or angry. Lord, where I've been frustrated and irritated. God, even in my mind. Lord Jesus, would you replace these things in me with the knowledge of who you are? Lord, would you impart to me your peace, your love, your joy, your righteousness, Lord Jesus? Come and wash us in your blood, Lord, this morning. Lord, we that we would be crucified with Christ again. Lord, that the old man is gone and the new man has come. Lord, I thank you, Lord, even today that you're wiping the slate clean. Lord, again, Lord, that even the sorrow, God, of seasons past is continually being wiped away. I thank you, Lord, even there are people in here this morning where you're saying, man, these things come up and I deal with them. And they come up again and the Lord is saying, and we'll wipe it away again. And again, and again, and again. As many times as it takes. I think a lot of times we, you know, how, I just hear Peter, Lord, how, how many times should we forgive? 70 times 7. And we always think about it in the context of others. But I feel like there are some of us that need to hear the, hear the Lord say, you should forgive yourself that many times too. Lord, how many times should I forgive myself? I just keep messing up. I have already forgiven you. You don't have the right to not forgive yourself. For I have already forgiven you. You're not more just than I am. Father, I pray that in the place, God, where shame or anxiety or fear has come. From where we will not forgive ourselves. God we break the power of it right now in Jesus name. And Lord we ask you to forgive us. For not forgiving ourselves. Lord you're the standard of righteousness. We're not. Lord forgive us. And we are forgiven. Heal us. The prophet Jeremiah said heal me and I will be healed. Lord save me and I'll be saved. Father, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your healing. I thank you that deliverance is and healing is the children's bread, Lord. It's our inheritance as the sons and daughters of God. Help us to commune with you, Lord, this week as you commune with us. Lord, I speak life to every dry branch in this house in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that your word says in Isaiah that a smoldering wick you will not put out. Lord, that a bruised reed, God, you will not break. But Lord, you strengthen and you encourage and you give life. And you take the smoldering embers of the little fires in our hearts and God, you breathe. I just see the Lord literally taking his hands and placing them over the smoldering campfire. And he's... He's breathing his breath. 
into those places and he's allowing his fire to be stirred up again on the inside of us. Just take your hands as we close. I want you to take your hands, put them on your belly. And just pray with me. Holy Spirit, come and stir me up, Lord, this morning. Lord, we give you permission to breathe on the embers of our internal fires. God, we ask that you would baptize us with fire, Lord, this morning. Lord, that your word would be illuminated and come alive. God, that conviction would become fresh. Lord, that in the places where we've become dull, that we'd become sharp. Lord, where we've become sleepy, that we'd become awake. Lord, that we, where, we are, where we've been weak, God, that you'd be made strong. Holy Spirit, come and stir up those wells of living water on the inside of us, O oh God. Lord, for what you've put inside of us is not a broken cistern, but it is a well of living water. That never, ever runs dry. Lord, I just, I just say it, Lord, over myself and over this body. Lord, that you are the vine. That we are the branches. That, Lord, we are connected to you. You're connected to us. Father, you're the vine dresser. Who's coming and tending to the vine. God, this week. Lord, would you cause fruit to grow? And I feel like some of us are frustrated because we're like, hey, I just wish I saw more fruit. And I feel like the Lord's saying, no, there's fruit there. It may not look the way you want it to, but it's there. It may not be as big as you want it to, but it's there. I see it. It may not be big enough to pick or pull yet, but it's growing. God, would you come and water? Water the vine, God, this week. Water the branches. May the roots go down deep, God, to the source of life and power in Christ. Jesus, I just thank you for this spiritual family. Thank you for Family of Fire Ministries. God, thank you, Lord, for all of those, God, who are connected to us in any type of way. God, would you just breathe your breath of life on your church, Lord, this morning. Release your power for transformation on the inside. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Amen. And I just want to encourage y'all. Honestly, I mean, there's no limit to how much time you can spend reading the word and praying. Do it alone. Do it with your spouse. Do it with other people in the community, man. Like, you know, I would just encourage you this week, like, maybe turn off the TV a little a little more and, and spend a little more time reading the word, you know, or, or whatever that looks like. Get up a little earlier. Go to bed a little later. Hang out with him. <laughs>